This is the SFF Audio Podcast. I'm Scott. Hey, I'm Jesse. Hello, Jesse. Hey, Scott. How's it going? Good. Good. Good, good, good. What you got for us today? Hey, I got some new releases, or recent arrivals. I keep calling I like them. Yeah. I like both. You bet. <laughs> All right, I got four titles here from Blackstone. Um, we'll start with Richard Matheson. Oh, yeah, another one. Yeah, one of our favorites. Read by Scott Brick. This is Somewhere in Time. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, I think I posted that as a new release. Mm-hmm. Not, not, not so long ago. Was it one of the ones on your wish list? Uh, no, no. I think oh. um, I spotted it as an upcoming release. Ah, um, okay. And I thought, uh, yeah, this is... Uh, have you seen the movie? Yes, I have. Christopher That's, Reeve, uh, right? Jane Seymour. Yeah. Um, the description, a dying young playwright staying in a turn-of-the-century hotel becomes captivated by a painting of a beautiful stage actress from the previous century. Obsessed, he begins to study everything he can about the woman in her time and becomes convinced he belongs with her. Through self-hypnosis, he transports himself to 1896, where he finds his soulmate he was fated to meet. <laughs> the soulmate he was fated to meet. Whoops. But will he be able to stay? So, yeah, I, I saw the movie, and I liked the movie, you know, a long, long time ago, but I had no idea it was written by Richard Matheson until you mentioned it in that, that one time you did. Hmm. Yeah. Um, the cover on the website's kind of lame. Yeah, it's a uh, two-tone kind of orange orange and less orange <laughs> with some uh script somewhere in time on the front yeah yeah okay. um i'm not judging this book by its cover yes. <laughs> <laughs> right. um well the good news is scott brick's a good reader and it's by richard matheson um, yep. i wonder uh, I, every richard matheson story i read is rather depressing and the movie is n- i mean it's sort of melancholy but it's not depressing mm-hmm. um you know what I mean? I do. I do. Um, so I'm wondering if the book is is like uh, anywhere more Matheson-like. And mind you, I, I, there's probably some Matheson. No, every every Matheson movie is also depressing too. I think <laughs> um, every Matheson story I've read is depressing. Yeah. Um, which, which I don't mind. I, I like depressing, but I'm just wondering if if uh, Hollywood, you know. Decided. Wow, this is a little too depressing. Let's let's uh, spark spark it up a bit. Oh, could be. Yeah, um, trying to remember the most recent Richard Matheson that I've read, and a stir of echoes has to be it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Scott Brick read that one too, but um, I better verify that. I I think I listened to it after you uh-huh. because um, that's the one about the guy who lives in a house and his. I can't remember exactly what happens, but I think there's a neighbor. Who's um, who's uh, who hears a ghost or something, and then yeah. they have a séance or something like that. Right. Yeah, a good book. I liked it very much. Uh, sort and, of a uh, quiet desperation. Yeah. Book. Yeah. And Richard Matheson did read it. I'm looking at it on Blackstone. Oh, you mean Scott Brick read it? Yeah, Scott. Isn't that what I said? You said Richard Matheson read. It. Oh yeah, Scott Brick read it. <laughs> Whoops. Yeah, the, right. uh, Blackstone is. Uh, Getting a nice little collection of Richard Matheson going here. It's actually a huge collection. I'm looking at the page. It's yeah. uh, two pages long, uh, maybe 20 books. Yeah. I Am Legend. I know you've listened to that. 
oh, Hell yeah. House, Incredible Shrinking Man we've done. Other Kingdoms, read by Bronson Pinchot. That looks good. wonder what um, that's about. Uh, call that right up. Um, Other Kingdoms. For over half a century, Richard Matheson. Okay, uh, the year is 18... Or, sorry. The year is 1918. Alex White, a young American soldier recently wounded in the Great War, comes to Gatford to escape his troubled past. The pastoral English village seems the perfect spot to heal his wounded body and soul, but the neighboring woods are said to be haunted by capricious, even malevolent spirits. He is warned to steer clear of the woods and the perilous fairy kingdom it borders, but Alex cannot help himself. Drawn to its verdant mysteries, he finds love, danger, and wonders that will forever change his view of the world. Hmm. Bronson Pinchot is a great reader. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, we keep saying that, and I haven't heard anything of his oh, really? um, in full uh-huh. lately. Yeah. Like, I, I, I know I've heard him in the past, uh, but it wasn't like in the last couple of years. Um, and he, he's doing a ton of books for Blackstone right now, but I also see there's one um, read by Stefan Rudnicki, Journal of the Gun Years. Hmm. Do you see that there? I'm not sure if that's a Western. Wow. Never heard Civil of War veteran who became known as the hero of the plains for his daring exploits in the Wild West. But the truth is revealed in his private journey journals. Um, see, Oh yeah, they've classified it as a Western. I didn't know Matheson wrote Westerns. I didn't either. And another Bronson Pinchot narrated one is called Earthbound. Yeah, that one looks interesting. Yeah. It's another sort of uh, in the... Um, in the tradition of Stir of Echoes, I think. Hmm. I, you know, I think there was a sequel to Stir of Echoes as a movie. Did you know that? Um, Stir well, of Echoes 2? <laughs> I didn't know there was a Stir of Echoes 2. But I know that there was a movie with Kevin Bacon called Stir of Echoes, and it was this one. Yeah, uh, but they made a sequel to the movie. Um, and I thought, what, still stirring the echoes? <laughs> <laughs> but instead of Kevin Bacon, it's Rob Lowe. A stir of, the, even more stirring as, of echoes, I don't know. Yeah, stir, still, still stirring. Still stirring the echoes, right. Yeah. All right. Um, well, also in from Blackstone, I've got the latest Orson Scott Card novel. It's called oh, The Lost Gate. The Lost Gate. Oh, yeah. Um, read by Emily Janice Card and Stefan Rudnicki. Um, it's it's, it's the book one of a new series called The Mither Mages. Uh, Danny North knew from early childhood that his family was different and that he was different from them. While his cousins were learning how to create the things that commoners called fairies, ghosts, golems, trolls, werewolves, and other such miracles that were the heritage of the North family, Danny worried that he would never show a talent. He grew up in an old house filled with dozens of cousins, aunts, and uncles, all ruled by his father. Their home, isolated in the mountains of West Virginia, holds many secrets and many rules. There's a secret library with only a few dozen books, and Danny and his cousins are expected to become fluent in their strange language. While Danny's cousins are always free to create magic, they must never do it where outsiders might see. Unfortunately, secrets are kept from Danny as well, and that will lead to disaster. I'm so. always in favor of secret libraries. Yeah, yeah. I'm actually, I'm just Speaking in favor of, secret of any libraries, libraries. I just, just this morning listened to... Um, BBC 7's Fahrenheit 451, speaking of secret libraries. Is that a uh, dramatization? Yeah, it's a dramatization. um, I think it was from 2003. Got it on Radio Archives. Oh, nice. Um, Yeah, it was good. It was one one hour long. 
Actually, I started listening to one uh, not too long ago either from BBC and uh, Radio Archive. .cc. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, not science fiction, though. It's it's uh, based on a novel, which I, I've seen the movie for, called To Catch a Thief. Yeah. You know that movie? I do. With, I think yeah, it's Cary Grant. Isn't it James Caan? James Caan? Really? Maybe they Maybe remade I'm, it. Nah, I'm, I'm probably the one that's wrong. Uh, I think it's Cary Grant. Okay. Yeah, Cary Grant, Grace Kelly, and Alfred Hitchcock. Ah. James Conn, what are you thinking of? Maybe it's just Thief. Oh, Was Thief, he one in yes. Thief? Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's a terrific movie, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this, a totally different feel to it. Um, to Catch a Thief is, you know, south of France, cat burglars, and, uh, you know, forced to go on dates with much younger women. <laughs> <laughs> Cary Grant, you know. How terrible, yeah. Yeah, um... And the movie's good, but the audio drama's really good, too. Even though it's so short, it's only an hour as well. Hmm. Um, you can do a lot. You can tell a, a hell of a story in the audio drama format. And I know um, I, I was reading somebody's comment somewhere about how BBC uh, audio dramas don't really take a lot of risks. Mm-hmm. You know, they're sort of very straightforward. Um, they're not experimental, etc. And I'm thinking, well, as long as they're good, I don't really mind it. You know, experimental was good in the sense that you might come up with something interesting, but often experiments fail. And uh, I, when you know you're working on to catch a thief, I'd rather have a, a success than a failure. Yeah, which is kind of uh, I guess a, a conservative. I'm conservative when it comes to my audio drama. <laughs> I want it straight. I want to know what's going on. <laughs> right, right. Maybe. <laughs> gotcha. All right. See what we got next here, Robert Silverberg. Oh, yeah. Which one this is, is that? Uh, book two of the Magipore Chronicles. It's actually called Magipore Chronicles, read by oh. a full cast. It says, um, "The best-selling fantasy saga that began with Lord Valentine's Castle continues in Magipore Chronicles, as a young street urchin Hisun gets his due for helping Lord Valentine regain his throne." As a result, as a reward, he is sent in the depths of the labyrinth, a massive library of memory cubes in which the entire history of Magipore is preserved. That's interesting. Memory you cubes know, in a massive library, might, and it's yeah. kind of fantasy. So is it fantasy? And I haven't read these, so it just no, seems I like haven't it's read both. them either. I think Julie reviewed. Um, well, maybe she didn't. Lord Valentine's Castle. I know that that came through here. The Magipur Cycle Book Two, Magipur Chronicles. Right. Um, but it's got a huge cast of readers. Look at that. Yeah. Art Johnson. Haven't heard him in a long time. Oh yeah, he's great. Uh huh. Don Leslie, Scott Peterson, Stefan Runicki, Mirren Willis, Paul Bomer, J. Paul Bomer, Emily Janice Card, Gabrielle DeCure, Cassandra Campbell. Wow, that is quite a cast. Yeah. I wonder. Um, so, uh, Valentine Pontifex, it's, it's kind of funny, um, I was listening last night on on my way back from work, I was thinking, um, oh, i got to listen to the new Space Dog podcast, and um, oh, really, the big problem with this, the sound quality is not very good, it's a recording from 1982, mm-hmm. uh, so you ha- really have to strain to hear sometimes what the audience is, is asking, um, it's a sort of a panel interview with... Um, uh, maybe not a panel interview. It's a conversation with um, uh, Silverberg about, uh, you know, stuff. 
Um, and he's talking about, uh, it's 1982, so he's talking about things in, you know, that period and talking about his, his hiatus from uh, science fiction uh, that he did, I guess, in 1974 to um, very late 70s or something, like five, year, five years of no writing science fiction and uh, talking about what he was working on. And, and it was this stuff. It was the uh, you know, Valentine Pontifex, I think, was the one that he was talking about just coming out which is the third book in the series, and that's also read by a bunch of people. It says J. Paul Bulmer, Hilary Huber, Don Leslie, and Stefan Rydnicki. Wow. I've not read any of the Magifor stuff, I don't think. Mm-hmm. If I have, I, I don't remember it at all. What's yeah. the first one? Is it just Magifor? It's called, no, Lord Valentine's Castle. Yeah, okay, that, I've heard. Okay, and that's only Stefan Rydnicki. It's interesting. Maybe, maybe it was such a success they decided to spend more money on it? No, maybe they're written in different styles. That's possible too. Yeah. Yeah, I know uh Lord Valentine's Castle is a big book too. And wow. uh this one is much smaller. This yeah, I'm looking is, at uh, the they get smaller as they go. That's yeah. interesting. That's re- the reverse of what you expect, right? Right. 16 CDs down to uh for for the first book, 12 CDs for the second, and 10 CDs for the third. Mhm. Well, he was also bemoaning the in the the interview, he was bemoaning uh, all the um, books being written as trilogies, you know. He thought it was ill-conceived. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I'm not sure what, how he reconciled the uh, these three books as that, but I, I haven't read them, so I'm not sure if they are a trilogy or if they stand alone or how they work exactly. Right. All right. Well, this last one that I have in from Blackstone mm-hmm. is called The City of Dreaming Books. This is one that I'm not familiar with. By Walter Moores, M-O-E-R-S. Read by Paul Michael Garcia, unabridged, and it's a big one. It's uh, 15 CDs. I think this is translated from German, isn't it? It it sure could be. Um, Oh, this is interesting. It says this is the third tale. In this third tale of Moores' Zemonia books, Optimus Yarn Spinner inherits from his godfather an unpublished manuscript by an unknown writer and sets off to track down the mysterious author who disappeared into Bookholm, the so-called city of dreaming books. Yard Spinner falls under the spell of this book-obsessed metropolis, where an avid reader and budding author can find any number of charming attractions. Priceless signed first editions, salivating literary agents, and four hire critics. But as Yard Spinner pursues the trail of the missing author, the darker side of Bookholm begins to unveil itself. The cold-blooded book hunters, cyclopean fearsome booklings, sharp-toothed animatomes, and of course the Shadow King, whose howls rise from deep beneath the city of night. Will Yarn Spinner survive his quest into this world where reading is a genuine adventure? Yeah, and it's got a Publisher's Weekly quote on it. A delightfully imaginative melange of Shel Silverstein zaniness and oddball anthropomorphism a la Terry Pratchett's Discworld, a wonderfully whimsical story that will appear to readers of all ages. <laughs> it's, um, it sounds like it might be the most experimental audiobook I've ever heard. Um, I'm, I'm looking at the Wikipedia entry, and it is, it is translated from German. I mentioned, um, I guess in a recent post, I mentioned some of uh, the other books in this series earlier. Hmm. Um, uh, in German, it's Die Stadt der Tromenden Bücher. 
Uh, I, that sounds like the stack of tremendous books. Hmm. But I, I don't read German, so that's just a guess. So translation might not be exact. But um, <laughs> it says, uh, the, uh, many of the authors listed in the City of Dreaming books are anagrams of famous authors. So er- Aragor Banco is Roger Bacon. Hmm. And uh, Rasco Elwid, Oscar Wilde, is like a huge list. Perla Lagadion, Edgar Allan Poe. Huh. Then it, it says, um, The City of Dreaming Books also contains a wealth of made-up words, uh, which can be found in most of Moore's work. Some are onomatopoeic, onomatopoeic instead of onomatopoeia, hmm. I guess. <laughs> it's plural or adjective, I don't know. <laughs> Anyways, fructoidism, the sensation when squeezing an orange until it becomes soft. Fructoidism. Or indigantic, one of a number of derogatory epithets. I wonder how that works if if you're making up words in German and then they translate it to English. It's a good the question. The translator makes up that word, or I would guess so. Interesting. I would guess so. Translators do a huge job. Yeah. Huge job in making in forming a book. It's unbelievable how much you know. You have to transliterate. Many, I mean, a lot of the you're basically rewriting the book. It's it's probably as close to uh, when when you're doing a good job. When a translator's doing a good job, you're probably doing something more like making a a script, a movie script into a novel. You know, that's mm. uh, the movie tie-in novel sort of thing. But it, it, that sounds bad because usually uh, movie scripts are are not books, right? They're very visual, mm-hmm. uh, whereas in, if you're if you've got a good translator, you can get some amazing books out of them, and yet they are quite different, which is interesting. Yeah, um, yeah. You know who's really popular? Um, who's also from Germany? Who is Cornelia Funky? I think is how. Oh yeah. Uh, have you read any of those? I haven't. Um, familiar with her a little bit. Uh, YA I bet some of those stuff, kids yeah. would be yeah. Oh yeah. Would in your reading group would have uh, read some of it, but yeah. she's she's like. Uh, the German um, J.K. Rowling or something. Oh, yeah. I, didn't uh, I just realize. got a copy of the Thief Lord in paper, and I'm thinking I'm reading it. Oh, good. Have you heard of that one? Yeah, yeah. Set in Venice, yeah. sort of quasi fantasy, I think. Fantasy adventure. Yep, yep. The Dragon Rider. She's got a Dragon Rider. Yep. In the ink cart uh, stuff, I think they made a movie out of one of the ink carts. Maybe the first Inkheart. I could be wrong about that. But, no, um, they did. They did a movie called Inkheart. I didn't realize it was written by her, though. Yeah, she she wrote Inkheart, Ink Spell, and Ink Death. Oh, okay. But I'm I'm thinking maybe some yeah some doing some books in translation would be a good idea. Yeah, it would be. It's fun to talk about. It is. Yep. All right. Well, that's all I have in the physical stuff. Um, things that have been physically mailed to us, mm-hmm. but well, have... why don't we stick with the Blackstone theme? Uh, okay, just just uh, any any uh, any of the new Blackstone um, releases strike you other than what we what we have arrived? Um, I'd have to take a look. I haven't. Well, have a look. <laughs> While you're doing that, I'm gonna tell everybody about this book that I just spotted on there, and I think is well worth a look, even though it's not science fiction, it's not fantasy. It's quasi-history, I think. 
It's called um, The Long Walk by Slavomir Rowitz. I think is how you, how you pronounce it. I read this book, I, I would say about 15 years ago, uh, as an audiobook. I think it was actually from Blackstone as well. It says that it was released in 2007, but I think it's being promoted again because it's a movie coming up with Colin Farrell and Ed Harris, um, which is kind of surprising because I think it's basically one guy in the whole book. <laughs> Maybe they're changing it a bit. Uh, they're calling it The Way Back in the movie form. I don't, I don't know when this is coming, but the book is fantastic. It's, um, it's a true story, or supposed to be a true story. I'm not sure how true it is. Uh, I, I've read some descriptions of you know people questioning it um, at the time it was written, etc. And I, I think a lot of that might be just because um, it was not written in English originally. It was written in Polish, I guess. Um, and it's the true story of a guy who was in the Polish army, uh, no, cavalry. He was in the Polish cavalry in World War II um, when the uh, Germans and, and the uh, Russians invaded um, Poland, when they were sharing Poland. The, um, the Russians took him off to a Siberian concentration camp, um, I guess with a lot of other Polish officers. And, and, uh, and then he escaped. He escaped and he walked all the way to India from Siberia. Hmm. Which is a hell of a long way, and it's just the story of the, of his long of his long walk. It's called the long walk. Wow. Yeah, that sounds interesting. It is fascinating. Yeah. It's fascinating that somebody could do that, and um, I, I, there are some interesting things that happen in it that you say, "Really, that happened?" And yet, uh, I know much stranger things have happened. So I'm thinking it's probably. Probably all the questioning that I heard about it is probably bullshit. It's probably totally true. Hmm. Just because there's nothing, you know, there's no fantastical elements. There's just some very unusual events. Very unusual events. Yeah. And they're not really that unusual. Hmm. They're just uh, astounding. Right. About that. Right. Well, I found one that's re- releasing this month that hopefully oh, that, that will send right over to us. It's called Declare by Tim Powers. Oh, um, interesting. Another yeah. Tim. Yeah, read by Simon Preble. Um, As I read the description, I want to read it even more. As a young double agent infiltrating the Soviet spy network in Nazi-occupied Paris, Andrew Hale finds himself caught up in a secret even more ruthless than war. Two decades later, a coded message draws Professor Andrew Hale back into Her Majesty's Secret Service. Elements from his past are gathered in Beirut, including ex-British counter-espionage chief and Soviet mole Kim Philby, and a beautiful former Spanish Civil War soldier-turned-intelligence operative, Alina Seniza Bendiga. <laughs> Soon, Hale will be forced to confront again the nightmare that has haunted his adult life, a lethal, unfinished operation codenamed Declare. From the corridors of Whitehall to the Arabian Desert, from post-war Berlin to the streets of Cold War Moscow, Hale's desperate quest draws him into international politics and gritty espionage tradecraft, and inexorably drives Hale, Seniza Bediga, and Philby to a deadly confrontation on the high glaciers of Mount Ararat in the very shadow of the fabulous and perilous biblical ark. <laughs> that, that book has everything. It does. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. It is. It's got yeah. history and... Uh, that I, I assume that's ninety nine point nine 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 percent fantasy there. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, or alternate history, I guess. Yeah, that but sounds yeah. interesting. Sounds Who's the great. reader on that? Uh, Simon Preble. 
And yeah, that's um, good. it's 20.4 hours long. And uh, Ooh, long. it says it's available now. So I, I spotted one that uh, you would might like too. Uh, we'll check that out. It's called uh, Reapers by Frederick Ramsey. Um, uh, it's a Botswanan mystery, but the best part you'll like, it's uh, set during the World Cup. Oh, no way. South Africa. How so, cool is that? Soccer, soccer interest. Yes. That's cool. Would it be possible to make a soccer podcast? Is, is that possible? <laughs> I bet there is one. Or are you kidding me? There are a soccer podcast. There are lots of them. Huh. Lots of them. Yep. I, I, it's such a visual game. I don't know. <laughs> uh, mind you, I guess they. No, they there's all kinds find of stuff lots of to talk about. Stuff. Yeah, they're not. Yeah. Yep. Lots of things to talk about. It's uh, constant drama. I'm a, I'm a Liverpool fan, so the drama has been. Uh, the last three years have been uh, like a soap opera. You, you know, they seem to be really getting into this multiple narrator thing. You yeah, know, yeah. I just well, they enough- they kind of start well. You know, Ender's Game. Well, Stefan Rudnicki and crew. They mm-hmm. they kind of started the. Well, they were one of the earliest. Anyway, I don't know if they yeah doing a, a big cast of of people. It's yeah, true. And you do a big cast of people, but you're not doing it as a an audio drama. You're Switching narrators as the book changes point of view. So, yeah, yeah, Ender's Game is one I talked about on that SF Signal post, and they did that in there where um, Stefan Runicki was reading the things from Ender's point of view, and then there would be a section of the book from Valentine's point of view. And uh, I think it was Gabrielle DeCure read that part. Hmm? And it's really, as an audiobook listener, I find it really effective because. Um, it helps you stay connected with the book, and if you should lose attention in any way, it helps you come back f- quicker. You know, if you get distracted by something shiny, then, <laughs> then uh, it helps you know who's talking or whose point of view you're in. It's not necessarily who's got dialogue; it's um, whose point of view you're in in the novel. Yeah, I guess it's a one-man play versus a. Uh... Versus a a full pl- a full cast stage production, right? Right, right. And they're they're not having other people read dialogue or anything. Now the the Magipor one sure could be that way. I don't know, but um, I've I've seen some do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's it sort of depends on the 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 book. I, but really, Stefan and Nicky's got to be the guy behind this at at uh, Blackstone, right? Because he's the guy who was behind it for Ender's Game. Yeah, yeah. He, he could be. I know um, he's. Got an independent shop, so I th- I think he contracts out. You know, I don't mm-hmm. I don't know exactly how it all works, but yep. I see this Reapers is read by William DeFries. Yeah. So um, yep. He's so good. He's I'm not good sure. I'm not sure how all that works. We should get. Uh, we should see if um, Grover Gardner would come on the podcast. That sounds good. And talk to us about how all that works. That sounds good. Yeah. Um, check out this one. This is a sequel uh, to uh, another young adult book. Um, it's called Fire Will Fall, and it's got uh, about a half dozen narrators as well. Kirby Hayborn, who yeah. I heard last in... Uh, Kirby Hayborn's really a good narrator. Yeah, he, he is. He did that uh, Cory Doctorow book. Mm-hmm. Yep. Which yep. one's that? Um, can't remember. What I know, called. and I can't remember either. <laughs> um, yeah. Little no. Brother. Little Brother, that's it. Yeah. Yep. Um, but I think I think it's interesting... Um, I think maybe Steams of Babel is the is the one that's the the sequel. It's the original, and then the Fire Will Fall is the is the follow up. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I don't see I don't see it exactly labeled that way, but um, it's just uh, you know when sort of non super famous books are getting this treatment is kind of really cool. I think audiobooks have never been healthier. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, you know, you're not kidding. I mean, there's so much out there now. I, I remember when we started this, it wasn't all that hard to kind of keep up with every yeah. interesting book that came out. We had time to read that, but oh, now yeah. it's just impossible. Makes it makes it uh, a lot harder, actually. <laughs> but uh, um, I guess we can pick and choose more. Yeah, yeah, that's what we have to do. Mind you, mind you, I think um, you know most uh, now that basically every book that is getting any sort of attention is getting an audiobook. Any sort of attention, and a lot that aren't getting any attention are getting mm-hmm. audiobooks because there there must be an insatiable insatiable demand for them. There must be, and maybe they're getting more efficient and they're costing less to make. You know, because you know you've got full-time people in the studio like i I noticed audible frontiers released 46 books from november to now and that is um, a lot of books that is an incredible amount of books and that's audible Frontiers. so you know maybe it's a lot cheaper now to make them because you have a studio that's full-time you know engaged in the making of audiobooks and you have uh you can put you can put things on audio that you wouldn't normally have done so because um, you're paying the folks anyway or something. I'm not sure how it all works to be honest, but well, it's probably it's probably that Audible has really got a lot of people who want more books. They've already got yeah, their yeah. their account. It's probably it's probably being driven by that, and that's uh, subscription. I mean, subscription used to sell a lot of books, right? We used to have uh, all these book clubs, and and that put out a lot of books into people's homes. I think just thinking about oh yeah I should get go down to the bookstore is not exactly the same as oh yeah it's in my mailbox mm-hmm. right yeah it's a uh, it's a way of getting people to do more of something they like by making it easier for them I guess yeah, yeah. Um, speaking of which um, you know if you look at the February releases for for Blackstone mm-hmm. you'll see that they've got uh, for us the living um, which is the the last first Heinlein book. It's the last first Heinlein book because it was his first book that never was published in his lifetime. And it's his last book because it's the last book written only by him um, released. But it came out a few years ago as a hardcover, and now it's available as an audiobook. But it's, it's, it's coming in February for, um, for Blackstone, I guess, hardcover release, but it's already available on Audible. Hmm. Yeah, they, I've heard, you know they they told us that they do that release it earlier, and I just um, I think uh, it's I guess as soon as it's finished, they say let's put it up there, and get those revenues going, and then and then eventually it's going to get to the library release. Mm-hmm. I wish I I've never seen a Blackstone on the shelf here for sale in a bookstore. I I have really they annoying. I have. I want to I want to yep. see them there. I want to go in and paw them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Oh wow! They're, they're, oh, this is great. I'm looking through February. They're re-releasing uh, Ben Bova's Venus. It existed only in abridged format. Now uh, I hope they're going through the whole Grand Tour series. It's unabridged now. Yep, unabridged now. Read by Stefan Rudnicki. That's great. I bet they are going through the whole series. That's great. They don't seem to to give up on series, do they? No, no, they don't. Which is, um, you know, it's it's very strange because no- normally I don't care who publishes a book. 
um, when I'm looking at you know a paper book, if it says nightshade book on the sides or you know I don't know Ace or Tor, it doesn't matter to me who published it. I only care about the cover and and the contents. Hmm. But when it comes to audiobooks, I actually do care who publishes it because there seems to be you know this, there's more of a taste going on. There's more of a you know a pattern of behavior going on. Mm-hmm. I can uh, like when I I look at Blackstone, I say, yeah, if they're going to do a series, even if I don't like it, I know that they're going to keep going with it. It might take a long time, mm-hmm. but they're going to do it. Yeah, I don't I don't think there's been a series that they've abandoned. You know, they started one and said, eh, we don't want to do it. <laughs> yeah, I don't I I don't know of one anyways. Right. And I think that when you're a crazy collector like me, that's something you think about you say well do i really want to go down this route so like books on tape for example i was a huge fan of books on tape i collected tons of books on tape but they would release books like the weirdest way possible they would release a bunch of books and then they'd go back and release something that you know was unrelated that was by the same author and then there would be a gap of nine months and then there might be another book, but it'd, it'd be like six books down the series. I'm like, what What are you doing? Well, what about this book and this book and this book? And then maybe later on they're going to release something. Uh, it, it, it's, it's like if you're following a series of books, you know, you're following a, an author, and they, they're missing stuff, I think you're just going to get phone calls. Like I would call them up and I would say, what about this book? Is this coming out? And then they put me on hold. And <laughs> <laughs> it's like, no. Uh, with Blackstone, I, I just I assume if they're going to start it, they're going to finish it. Mm-hmm. Well, that's good. Yeah. I, I don't know what happened to books on tape. It really bothers me because they had some great audiobooks, but something went wrong there. Mm-hmm. It's it, it still exists, right? Yep, yep. I think it, it does. It, they were bought by Random House, I thought. Yeah, I don't know. But, you know, you go to their site and you click on science fiction and you get 49 books in the in the science fiction section and they're old. They're all old. There's nothing new. Hmm. You know, you, you, you know, they're from years ago. Yeah, they, they definitely uh, were purchased by uh, Random House because I see when I go to the Books on Tape site, it's got all these imprints and uh, listening library, which is where Harry Potter was released and uh, random house. They're all part of the same family. But you know, you're going to, you're going to buy up this, this giant company and then kill it. Um, good question. I'm not sure what their plan was or what they're doing or if they're using books on tape to sell to libraries. Mostly maybe they're not, they're not, uh, I don't see books on tape in my library anymore. Uh, only mm-hmm. old ones. But they—they it's not like they didn't have good series or good books. The last the last release um, from books on tape I think we got was The Last Theorem there by Arthur C. Clarke. Mm, yeah. Which is... Um, oh, wait. It says 2011. They've got, they've got uh, the Robert Jordan series. Well, that's, not, I, that's not them, though. The Robert Jordan series is Macmillan. Right, uh, so... It's co-publishing, it says, with books on tape and publishing mills. That must be, um, it's the same same narrator. So the thing is, is it's just they basically gave up on the imprint. Mm-hmm. 
And I just think that that was a huge mistake because I was one of the people who was there every every week looking at the new stuff. And I don't see their stuff on, um, uh, you know, their older their older out of print titles. I don't see them on on Audible, which is horrible. I mean, there are a few there, but whoever's running running that isn't saying, "Oh, let's do this." It's just, you know, sort of. Well, what what do we got in the catalog? I guess we could. I don't know. Yeah, um, and, I, and I'm looking. I'm looking. Know, just horrible. They yeah, I'm horrible. looking through their list of stuff here. And um, on the science fiction books, every science fiction fiction book that I see here is on Audible, but through Random House. Like the, they have new titles; they're just not science fiction. Maybe is the problem. Yeah, probably so. But yeah, yep. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know uh, how it worked. But Brilliance was purchased by Amazon, right? Which also yeah, but, owns Audible, I believe. But, but Brilliance has gone um, crazy with the releases. I mean, they, they they've have. got tons, tons and tons of stuff. Maybe because Books on Tape gave up there, there's a whole new market share. I don't Maybe know. So. Yeah, Brilliance br- used Brilliance. to be a really tiny company. You know, yeah, They yeah. barely produced anything. And, and a lot of their stuff was very um, marginal. You know, like mm-hmm. it, wasn't, it wasn't mainstream books. It was uh, sort of the ones that don't get the attention. And now now they've got tons of stuff mm-hmm. yeah i mean uh, it might it might have been that amazon's <laughs> amazon bought them as a you know a gobbling monster but they really have uh not abandoned it and they've not let it die yeah it's like they're using brilliance to make hard copies of what audible's doing yep and and that's fine because they got a retail outlet for it right right which is amazon mm-hmm and you know, I do see brilliance on the bookstore shelves up here. So oh, I do too, down here. <laughs> but I do see Blackstone on our shelves as well. So I don't, I don't know why we can't get them up here. Yeah, I'd like to see them. The audiobook section of of the big box bookstores up here are not big enough. They're yeah, they're full of self help still. Unbelievably, can't believe that. And and there's a huge religion section too. There's a huge religion section, huge self help section. And then there's sort of a CBC section, which is which is fine. Not not enough stuff in the CBC section. Uh, and then there's like a sort of a a minor audiobook section. Hmm. I guess uh, it's it's the uh, the audible market and the the uh, library market are two big reasons why you don't see them in bookstores as much. What mm-hmm. what do you? How big's your well, audiobook section? It's in not your in the. There, there's two bookstores that I normally go to. One is a Borders, and mm-hmm. one is a Barnes and Noble. And the Barnes and Noble has put their audiobooks in this tiny corner of this giant store, and it's even tough to look through it. You know, you know where the the music CDs are. Mm-hmm. They've put it in there, where <laughs> you have, you got to go into the, out of the book section into the CD section. You know where they sell in classical music and DVDs and stuff. Mm-hmm. You go into that, and in the corner of that little tiny sub store is the audiobook section, and you flip through them just like you flip through CDs of music. Yeah, they really um, do not know yeah, how to market them. It's really pretty much just you know, well, uh, they're making us carry carry these. 
<laughs> you know, that's the feeling that you get. Because I had to ask, you know, I looked through all the books the last time and I was the, there. And then they don't know where they are they, Yeah, <laughs> the, the person knew. They said, oh, those are, you know, in the uh, music section. Oh, those? Oh, of those? course, of course, yeah. Yeah. And then the um, Borders actually has a nice, nicer section. Um, it's two long shelves long. And the the fiction is by far the biggest part of it. And then they've got a nonfiction. And I don't recall that they have the nonfiction broken up into different kinds of nonfiction. So um, they might, you know, in, in how they order it all. But um, there's lots of fiction books on there. But most of it is um, new release stuff. There's not any kind of a back... You know, like in the science fiction section, you're seeing a whole... I'm talking about the science fiction book section. Mm-hmm. You know, it's nice and big, and it's got all kinds of stuff in it. But the, the audiobook section, the science fiction is all mixed in. And, uh, no, actually, I take that back. In this store, the science fiction is not mixed in. It is separate, and it's but it's small. It's a little tiny section at the end of the fiction section. But it does have a science fiction section in the audiobook department. So... Anyway, I guess what I'm saying is uh, it's bigger than what you're describing and, and yeah. a little bit different. It's not 50-50. It's probably 70% fiction, 30% non, and uh, with science fiction being maybe maybe 10% of the fiction. Is, is this in Salt, Salt Lake City? No, it's in Logan, Utah. Okay. Yep. So you got a Borders, a borders and Logan's not here. I have right? a Borders in Logan. Yeah, I, I wouldn't know how many people live in Logan. Um and then in That's Idaho cool. Falls, Idaho is the Barnes and Noble I go to, and the Barnes and Noble is bigger than the the Borders. Uh, how are their graphic novel section? Do they have a um, you know, comics? Both of Not, them. Both of oh. them have. I think the Borders one is bigger, but they both mm-hmm. have a graphic novel section. And I still, you know, I'm not. Not quite with you on those. You know, I haven't <laughs> haven't read very many of those at all. In fact, a friend just lent me The Walking Dead Volume One. So. Oh, uh, is that the one you gave, uh, gave to him? <laughs> I actually did, yeah. And he says, hey, do you want to read this? And I said, oh, sure. You bet. What did he think of it? He loved it. In fact, he's, he ordered two and three. Oh, nice. Yep. Yeah, they're, uh, they're very addictive because mm-hmm. uh, it, it is, it's, it's not exactly a soap opera because people get killed. Right, and they, and they don't come back. Or, well, wait a second. There's zombies that could come back, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, people people get killed, and um, they lose body parts, and and things go go badly. And and unlike a TV show where they sort of uh, not the TV show, but a regular TV show, um, they don't you know need feel the need to stick to a set. You mm-hmm. know how. They sort of they build the big set and then they say, "Let's go off into the universe." <laughs> and they stick in the set, right, right. And then they, you know, go down into the the planet of the week or something like that. Well, that's that's yeah, that's a great thing about audio drama too. That's why you know make more. <laughs> yeah, you, you don't know, really. You're not have, you're not set to anything. Yeah, yeah, you don't really have to stick with whatever it is. But also unlimited special effects budget. Where Kirkman doesn't the Robert Kirkman guy he doesn't want to. Uh, make it comfortable he doesn't want to keep it comfortable so whenever things you know are looking up a bit something bad happens mm-hmm. <laughs> um and that's that's kind of fun yeah yeah looking as forward opposed to, to the the horrible zombie book i'm listening to now i'm almost finished and we'll have a scathing review up hopefully soon <laughs> great <laughs> great <laughs> um 
I noticed just in the future, uh, we've got March is the beginning, I think, of a bunch of Paul Anderson books coming from Blackstone. No kidding. Yeah. Paul, Paul Anderson is, he's, I've read some of him, but I've never was enamored with him. And, and I know he's kind of a huge figure in science fiction, but I never was captured by him. Um, you, there, he you has not, he's uneven. He's uneven. And mm-hmm. there's, there are some stories that are really terrific, that, especially some of the sh- shorter stuff I've read are really terrific. Yeah. Um, and I, I, he has written a ton of stuff. So you can't, you know, uh, say, you know, he's, he's definitely all good or definitely all bad because I have no idea. But I have read some terrific stories by him. Um, he's got sort of a weird um, feel with regard to, comes at it from a slightly different angle uh, than a lot of other people, I guess. Mm-hmm. But first one up, I can see, says to be announced March 11th, uh, is the reader to be announced. It's called Brainwave, and it's got a the old-fashioned um, paperback uh, Valentine books cover on it. So, But mm-hmm. 5.6 hours, 5 CDs. Oh, see, now that's, that's cool. I've been listening to yeah. that. <laughs> it's, it's called Brainwave. Yeah. Here's the description. For millions of years... The part of the galaxy containing our solar system has been moving through a vast force field that has been inhibiting certain electromagnetic and electrochemical processes, and thus certain neurotic functions. When Earth escapes this inhibiting field, synapse speed immediately increases, causing a rise in intelligence, which results in a transfigured humanity reaching for the stars, leaving behind our Earth to the less intelligent humans and animal life forms. This is a transcendent look at the possible effects of enhanced intelligence on our planet. And Larry Niven calls it a masterpiece. <laughs> All right. Well, I'd, I'd listen to a masterpiece. Yeah, a five CD a masterpiece. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How could you not want to listen to an old, old-fashioned? That sounds like piece? that sounds like a read-along right there, candidate. Could be, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, let's make sure. Yeah, it wouldn't be the first in a series. It doesn't sound like one. So, yep. yeah, yeah. Well, that sounds like a good, good, good plan for future down the road. All right. So, yep. um, what else? Well, I was Besides- looking at um, some Macmillan. Now, as we're talking yeah. about publishers, Macmillan publishes audiobooks that they sell, you know, in hard copy. But they mm-hmm. also have some kind of a cooperative deal going on with Audible, in which they publish books now and then that appear exclusively on Audible um, and don't show up in hard copy. Um, one example is Shades of Milk and Honey by mm-hmm. Mary Robinette Cole. Now, I, I hope that I'm correct in saying that uh, I don't think that those are hard. You can't go buy a hard copy of this book. I don't think you can. Yeah, so, but uh, let's see. Mary Robinette Cole wrote this book. Let me read the summary. Not, not a hard cover of the, of the audiobook. Not a hard copy of the audiobook, right. Yeah, it is, it is her first and novel. The hard cover is available, but no, no, there's no physical copy of the, of the audiobook. Correct. As to my knowledge, right. You're right. You're right. Um, the fantasy novel you've always wished Jane Austen had written, Shades of Milk and Honey, is exactly what we could expect from Austen if she had been a fantasy writer. Pride and Prejudice meets Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell. It is an intimate portrait of a woman, Jane, and her quest for love in the world where the manipulation of glamour is considered an essential skill for a lady of quality. Jane and her sister Melody vie for the attentions of eligible men, and while Jane's skill with glamour is remarkable, it's her sister who is fair of face. When Jane realizes that one of Melody's suitors is set on taking advantage of her sister for the sake of her dowry, 
She pushes her skills to the limit of what her body can withstand in order to set things right, and in the process accidentally wanders into a love story of her own. I heard I heard her talking about it on a on a podcast, I think it was, um, how the magic system worked. And mm-hmm. it sounded pretty interesting, a very different way of approaching magic than, than you get in a lot of other books. And, um, and for that alone, it, it's, it might be worth checking out. Yeah, I, I yeah. see there's a trailer for it as well on, oh, on sure. YouTube. Yeah, great. Now, as I was looking through these this morning, um, I found one that I think you'd be interested in, but and I don't know whether or not this is available uh, in mm-hmm. a hard copy, but it is from Macmillan. It's called The Elephant to Hollywood by Michael Caine. Oh, Narrated yeah, by yeah. Michael That's um, abridged, I think, un- unfortunately, as an audiobook. Um, okay. I think, it, I, I, I think, I think it's available. This one's 10 hours and 21 minutes long. Oh, really? Yeah, mm. so I think it may be available both ways. But didn't you listen to a... Autobiography of Michael Caine. Yep, it's what what it's all about. What it's all about, yeah. So now this one is uh, kind of let's see, what is it called? The reason I brought it up is it says uh, charming, engaging, and surprisingly forthright. Michael Caine gives us the insider's view of Hollywood and the story of his brilliant second act. So this must be yeah, it's, it's uh, the next memoir in his, yeah. his so, memoir series. Yep. Um, Ten hours. Does it say who the reader is? Him himself, Michael Caine. It's unabridged, really. Um, it's ten. It's ten hours and twenty-one minutes. Oh, yeah. I don't see. Oh, it does say unabridged. Yeah, it does it say is. unabridged. Yeah, unbelievable. Now yep. there was a recent one called uh, "The Elephant to Hollywood" that was released, and I said, "Oh, it's so sad." But uh-huh. that's a different publisher, I think. Let's yeah. see. H- Hotter and Stoughton. Uh, oh, that one's unabridged as well. That's weird. I thought I saw an abridged version. Oh, they have what it's all about as an abridged version. Aha. Aha, aha. Okay, so they re-released that audiobook, which uh, it says Random House. Yeah, that sounds right. It's like two cassettes, I think, back in 1992, 1994, something like that. Um, And that was just a... If you like Michael Caine, and I mean, really, if you uh-huh. don't like Michael Caine, I don't really want to talk to you because he's <laughs> basically Mr. Awesome. Yes, he is. Yeah. Um, it, it's it's really interesting. He he reads it in you know it's Michael Caine telling you a story about you know it's like hanging out with Michael Caine for a couple of hours, and that's really cool. And you get all this sort of uh, you know him telling you how he how he becomes a great actor and. And the, basically, he's just a bunch of tricks he does, and 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 then and then you say, "Oh no, he's still Mr. Cool." <laughs> but he tells you, you know, his his uh, his life story, and and then um, you get a lot of you know stuff about uh, when he was making um, uh, the man who would be king with Sean Connery and stuff like that. Hmm. Which have you seen that movie? Um, no, I don't believe I have. Now you have to get that on Netflix. The All Man right. Who Would Be King. The Man Who Would Be King, check. Based on a, a poem by Rudyard Kipling uh-huh. um, about two uh, sergeants in the Indian army who decide to uh, desert from the army and go off into uh, Kafiristan, I think it's called, which is uh, sort of somewhere up near Pakistan now, um, and make their own empire. Hmm. Uh, so the two guys go off into the into the uh, into the wilderness and decide to uh, carrying a whole bunch of guns and decide to carve out an empire for themselves. Hmm. Terrific movie. Yeah. 
terrific cool. uh, poem. All right. Yeah, that, that's cool. Yep, so what else, what else from McMillan? Well, from McMillan, I was, uh, th- from there I went to just Audible's new releases. Um, mm-hmm. Audible Frontiers, which, I mean, they, re- they released the most amazing stuff. Um, so happy to have Audible. They don't abandon series either. No, they they really go after it too. Um, some of the most recent things: uh, Nancy Cress's Probability Trilogy. That's one that I want to get into. And let's look at the first volume. It's called Probability Moon, narrated by Gregory Linnington, by Nancy Cress. Humankind has expanded out into inter- interstellar space using stargates technological remnants left behind by an ancient, long-vanished race. But the technology comes with a price. Among the stars, humanity encountered the Fallers, a strange alien race bent on nothing short of genocide. It's all-out war, and humanity is losing. In this fragile situation, a new planet is discovered, inhabited by a pre-industrial race who experience shared reality. They're literally compelled to share the same worldview. A team of human scientists is dispatched, but what they don't know is that their mission of first contact is actually a covert military operation, for one of the planet's moons is really a huge mysterious artifact of the same origin as the Stargates, and it just might be the key to winning the war. Hmm. So that's the first of a trilogy, um, called the Probability Trilogy, and the first one's called Probability Moon. And that's newly released. It's uh, in December. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then another uh, one. Good covers on them. Yeah, I've not I've not read any Nancy Crest for years. Yeah, well, just her short fiction. I don't know that I've yeah. read a, any of her novels. Beggars in Spain, I think, was the last one I read. Yeah, Infinivox did that one, right? Mm-hmm. And then this one captured me because Jeffrey Ford is a terrific short story writer, and I don't know if this is his first novel, but it's called The Shadow Year, narrated by Kevin T. Collins. On New York's Long Island, in the unpredictable decade of the 1960s, a young boy spends much of his free time in the basement of his family's modest home, where he and his brother Jim have created Botch Town, a detailed cardboard replica of their community, complete with figurines representing friends and neighbors. Their little sister Mary smokes cigarettes, speaks in other voices, inhabits alternate personas, and, unbeknownst to her siblings, moves around the inanimate clay residence. There is a strangeness in the air as disappearances, deaths, spectral sightings, and the arrival of a sinister man in a long white car mark this unforgettable shadow year. But strangest of all is the inescapable fact that all of these troubling occurrences directly correspond to the changes Little Mary has made to the miniature town in their basement. Um, It won the World Fantasy Award for Best Novel of 2009. Oh. And this book list quote is very interesting, and I think it's illuminating. Uh, surreal, unsettling, and more than a little weird. Ford has a rare gift for evoking mood with just a few well-chosen words and for creating living, breathing characters with only a few lines of dialogue. Give this one to readers who appreciate the blending of literary fiction, fantasy, and mystery. That's from book list. Hmm. So, but uh, I, I sure that, enjoy his short fiction. So, I mean, that really caught my. I've mind. never, I've never read any of his stuff. I, I, I have never heard of him. Oh, mm-hmm. but I like the, I like the idea of you've got a, a replica of your town in your, in your basement. <laughs> I, I always, I, I, I think models are incredibly interesting, and you know that's sort of the, the fun of a game like SimCity or Civilization, where you try to, make analogs for real life things and and. The subtleties, you know, the subtleties of scale are very interesting. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, there, there's probably a way of playing with that in a, in a fantasy that hasn't been done a lot. Yeah. I, I, I know, um, you know, one of my favorite stories, as you know, is Microcosmic God. And that is kind of like that. It's a, that's a science fiction version of uh, playing with models and seeing, seeing what happens on, a, on smaller scales and larger scales. And, mm-hmm. and uh, there's probably a way of doing that in a fantasy, yeah, which this, yeah. it, assume, I assume this is. Right, I would assume so as well. Yeah. Given that it won the World Fantasy Award, that would <laughs> probably be a good guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, what about uh, The Android's Dream and Agent to the Stars? Those are two John Scalzi books yeah. that uh, you probably know more about than I do. I see they're available on Audible, yeah, they're, one they're, read they're, by Will Wheaton. Yeah, they're both read by real Will Wheaton. I, oh, okay. I've, I've read neither of them. Um, but I want to. Uh, the Android's Dream looks real interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Let me pop this one open. Now, Agent to the Stars, I think, was Scalzi's first novel. Okay. And uh, then um, Old Man's War was actually his second, but it was a successful one. Um, okay, uh, The Android's Dream, read by Will Wheaton. It's about ten hours long, ten and a half hours long. A human diplomat creates an interstellar incident when he kills an alien diplomat in the most unusual way. To avoid war, Earth's government must find an equally unusual object, a type of sheep. The Android's Dream, used in the alien race's coronation ceremony. To find the sheep, the government turns to Harry Creek, ex-cop, war hero, and hacker extraordinaire, who, with the help of Brian Javna, a a childhood friend turned artificial intelligence, scours the earth looking for the rare creature. And they find it, in the unknowing form of Robin Baker, pet store owner, whose genes contain traces of the sheep's DNA. But there are others with plans for the sheep as well. Mercenaries employed by the military, adherents of a secret religion based on the writings of a 21st century science fiction author. And, Probably named John Scalzi. Yeah, and alien races eager to start a revolution on their homeworld and a war on Earth. So yeah, I'm glad uh, the description kind of captures, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's a comedic book. Yeah, it sounds so, pretty funny. Yeah. Um, but it's neat that it, Will Wheaton read it, because I, I like on... Will Wheaton as a narrator. Oh yeah, he's a narrator. And not only did he narrate you know, his own stuff, which is terrific. Um, what dancing barefoot and, Oh shoot. I can't remember the name of it. Uh, Just a geek. Yep. Just a geek. Those are terrific. Both of them really terrific. And, um, he narrated a, one of the short stories. They had a whole bunch of star Star Trek. Yeah. That's it. And that is a, Top top notch narration. It is too. That collection's a top notch. Yeah, uh, collection yeah. could have been on both of our uh, our best of lists. It could have been. You know what? I was surprised when I made that list. You know, and mm-hmm. after I had made it, you know, I've got like one science fiction novel on that list, <laughs> and I'm always <laughs> complaining about, you know, oh, I really love the science fiction, and and yet, I think for the past, I don't know, probably ten years, the most interesting stuff has been fantasy. Well, it's a lot easier to write fantasy. Well, that, that's possibly true, but um, I don't so know. So there's more, more, more potential out there? Yeah. I, I, let's see how my list stacks up. Mm-hmm. Uh, I made a huge list, though. Uh, yeah. Best fantasy of the year, that's fantasy. Wind from a Burning Woman, that's science fiction. Children of Men, fantasy? No, no science I would fi- say I that's science fiction, yep. Uh, do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? That's definitely science fiction. Mm-hmm. Mind Slash Matter? Definitely science fiction. Friday? Heinlein. Uh, sci- sci-fi Private Eye? I think those are a mix, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, one of those is the, the uh, 
terrific James Powell dirge for Clown Town, I think, is in that collection. Yeah, yeah. Um, what else? Martian Time Slip Science Fiction, Ring World Science Fiction, The Real Stuff. That's mostly science fiction, I think. Maybe a mix. Minority Report. That's not. I, I, I put a lot of Philip K. Dick on the list. Um, and I guess that's because I like him. Uh, two Plays for Voices. That's uh, both fantasy. Mm-hmm. Terminal Experiment, Science Fiction, Ender's Game. We, well, that was on both of our lists, I think. It was, yeah. Yep. That's science fiction. Mm-hmm. Dark Worlds of H.P. Lovecraft. That's fantasy, sort of. Yeah. Um, Chief Designer, Andy Duncan. That You remember that one? That, that terrific audiobook. Yeah, that's uh, Infinivox, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, really terrific. Uh, I, I had forgotten about it, and when I was making the list, I was, I thought I'd choose one book for every year, and um, I forgot about that book, and I'm like, damn, that's a good book. I, I, I want to listen to it again. <laughs> uh, it's so short and so great. Um, Blake Seven, that's science fiction. Accidental Time Machine, uh, that was another one I had forgotten. Uh, mm-hmm. Joe Haldeman, um, fun book. Uh, Earth Abides, Wow. Great science fiction. Yep, yep. Uh, sort of. It's almost not science fiction, but it's really terrific. Uh, and Stainless Steel Rat, which is uh, mostly ad- adventure, but a little bit science fiction. So um, I guess I'm a mostly science fiction guy. <laughs> you know, and I consider myself mostly a science fiction guy, but um, look what I picked here. I just picked three novels and three short pieces. And um, the first one I picked was The Prestige by Christopher Priest. Which, That's science fiction, right? Which I call, I call that science fiction. I still love that book. Mm-hmm. And um, Simon Vance just does it so perfectly. And, um, great yeah, great I wanna, narrator. I want to listen to that thing. And then Ender's Game, mm-hmm. um, science fiction. And then The Reapers Are the Angels, which is not science fiction. I know you guys had a conversation on whether zombies were science fiction or not. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. Well, the, the, this book, the one I'm currently listening to... Mm-hmm. Uh, What's it called? Uh, it was called Dust. We uh-huh. talked about it on a podcast a, a while yeah. ago. It's definitely not science fiction because yeah. I don't know what the hell's going to happen next. But it's it's cloaked in science. It's cloaked in science. It's yeah. just definitely not. I don't. Fiction. I don't recall um, Alden Bell spending much time explaining, you know, how the workings of the whole zombie thing in the novel. Well, I think um, it's a literary book, yeah, right? It's yeah, a literary it book. Right. And right. that's that's really what its genre is. Yeah. Um, and it uses science fiction, uh, or, no, sorry, zombies. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think definitely zombies are mostly fantasy. Mm-hmm. But modern fantasy, in a way. Right. Okay, Maybe like then, urban fantasy. Yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, in short fiction, I picked three fantasies. Um, the Hedge Knight. By George oh. R. R. Martin, read by the fantastic Frank Muller. Mm-hmm. Um, the Voice from the Edge, Volume One. I have no mouth and I must scream. By Harlan Ellison. That's that's science fiction. Uh, gosh, I would, I would call Ellison fantasy. Yes, but that's you no. Know, he's, he's, he's like his own genre. He's the Ellison genre. <laughs> oh wait, did but you pick? Did you pick the title? Story? I picked the collection. Uh, the oh. collection. Uh, well, I have no mouth and I must scream. Yeah, I guess it could be a science fiction story. Repent Harlequins, probably oh, a science fiction story. Definitely. Paladin of the Lost Hours, fantasy. Yeah, um, but the title story is science fiction. How uh, could you say it isn't? Um, it's about a, an evil computer that uh, it makes a, a dystopia for humanity. Right. I mean, right. 
it's not a uh, hard science fiction. Okay. But it's about it's about uh, it, it's thoroughly cloaked in in a in a uh, how how could it not be? I, I, well, I I always look at Ellison kind of like I look at Ray Bradbury. Ellison's not spending any time explaining, you know, he, he's not spending any time making his computer realistic in any way. He's not spending any thought saying, you know, well, these, these guys designed it in this way or whatever. So it's, it's not, like you're saying, it's, it's not yeah, hard, it's not, it's not hard science fiction. The tec- techno- technological. Uh, right. And, and Ray, both Ray Bradbury and him use those elements to create situations with, but they don't spend any time. All right. I, I see what you're saying. Yeah. And not, you are correct. Sir. Okay. <laughs> All right. And then, well, then, uh, then I don't think it's, uh, I don't think it's classifiable as fantasy either. It's Ellison books. Ellison. <laughs> Bradbury books. Right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then um, I picked uh, Sinner, Baker, Fabulous Priest, Red Mask, Black Mask, Gentleman Beast. Even the title's fun to say. Mm-hmm. By U.G. Foster, uh, read by Lawrence Santoro. Um, it was an Escape Pod episode number 214, mm-hmm. and I reviewed it back in March, I think. Last um, March, yep. Yeah, so... It, it's just, it was a fantastic, it blew me away. I was listening to all these short stories that month. And uh, uh, when I hit this one, I, I, I wanted to do an escape pod. So I basically just picked it, you know, and uh, it blew me away. Uh, Lawrence Santoro just did such a wonderful job oh, with it. Oh, he's a terrific narrator. And it's a great story written by Yuji Foster. And it's just intense, passionate, but I'm calling that one fantasy as well. Uh, yeah, even though it's on Escape Pod, which is supposed to be science fiction now. Well, yeah, it's it, it, it has I don't know. It, 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 it it's science it's science fictional in that you know okay here we have a society, um, in this society we wear masks. I guess you could call it science fiction. Well, that's that that sounds like um, it's like a uh, socio- sociological science fiction or something yeah. like that. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. So so I think your charge that you you wrote only about fantasies is just wrong because you only have one fantasy on there, <laughs> and that's the the George R R Martin one. George R. R. Martin. <laughs> All right, I stand corrected, and I that George R R Martin one is fantastic. It you is. know, I was really disappointed. You know, George George R R Martin. They released. Uh, Dream songs, you know the the three volumes of these collection of stories, mm-hmm. and they re-recorded the Hedge Knight. Now, I I didn't hate the re-recording, but you've got this Frank Muller recording. You know, I, I it could have been a different publisher or what, Contractor, but oh, it just killed me that because yeah. it's so fantastic. I mean, Frank Muller, he was just so great, and um, I don't know, it was a shame that they just didn't put that in that collection, just as is, because. It's that good. Um, I urge you to to seek it out. You got to find it. It is available on Audible, though. I, I looked are it both, up. Are both of them up? Uh, the both both of Dream what? Songs and um, yeah, the Dream Songs. Yeah, Legends Collection. They are. Yeah, Legends Volume Four is where the Hedge Knight, uh, read by Frank Muller, is, and okay. it is available on Audible. I checked. Okay, good. Yeah, because um, those those were some good collections. They got some uh, Neil Gaiman in there too. Yeah, they did, and Stephen King was in there. Robert Silverberg was in there. I think he did one in the Valentine series, didn't he? Yeah, I think um, I, I maybe that's the last um, Magipore book I read. And yeah, I don't. But remember. but I remember listening to this book, and the Anne McCaffrey one was called. It, it has three stories in it: um, the Runners of Pern by Anne McCaffrey, yeah. and then something from the Riftworm like Saga by Raymond Feist. I can't remember, but uh, yeah, I listened to all three, and and. 
the runners of Pern I thought was okay, and then the the Feist one was okay, you know. And then I hit passable. I think then I hit the hedge knight, and it was just so engaging that I've listened to it, you know, several times. I just a very good idea for um, you know you get you get people who are who are big names, and you say, well, why don't you write something in your own universe, and uh, we'll put it in this collection, and then that gives people an idea about what the whole series is about. So, Runners of Pern, I now know I don't need to read a lot of McCaffrey's Pern stuff, because didn't didn't do a lot for me. Mm-hmm. But the George R. R. Martin uh, story did make me want to listen to his other stuff. Mm-hmm. And although I haven't gone bonkers for it like you have, <laughs> <laughs> and basically everybody else on the planet, um, I think it's it's still it's a it's a terrific story on its own. Yeah, yeah, I've, I've got, got, I've got the, something uh, the graphic uh, novel for it as well. Yeah, speaking of George R. R. Martin, you know, as as we all. Uh, await the series, or I, I'm awaiting the series as we all like. Mm-hmm. How could you not like it? Um, but it's too long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're making an HBO series, but it was interesting on his blog, and it'd be cool if you'd throw this on the site. He did a an interview with MTV, and the what he talked about was the book writing and what it was like to be writing these books. Mm. Not not something that I would consider typical fare for what people watch on MTV, not having watched MTV for about 15 years or so, but I don't think they do, but it's on, it's on his site. Um, George R. R. Martin's site. There's a link to this video and it's, it's only about five minutes long or maybe even shorter than that, but it was good. We'll check it out. Well, that's what I've got this week. Okay. How about Um, yourself? Anything else you want to bring uh, up? Uh, well, I've been reading a lot of comics as you know. Mm -hmm. Um, I just finished uh, one of the ones I, I sent you, uh, asked you to check out a um, podcast called um, Fresh Ink Online. Yeah, yeah. Which is done by G4. Uh-huh, and it's uh, a video TV. podcast. Yep. I think it's called G4 Tech TV in Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's just G4 in the States, I'm not sure. But they they uh, apparently have a uh, segment on Attack of the Show, which I've never seen the segment, but um, it's one of their shows, and they have a uh, really good reviewer of comics called Blair Butler, and she she recommended a ton of books. I, I was wa- it's the only video podcast that should be a video podcast. Penn Jillette does a, a video podcast. It has no reason to be a video podcast. It's just just him talking, hmm. uh, standing there and talking. Well, why do I need that? Just put it straight to audio. So uh, I have I'm not really got on on board the video podcasting bandwagon if there is no and i i hope i don't know i i hope that it it doesn't become huge you know it it certainly could get big and and things but audio i mean why why did why is video considered to be better because it's (laughs) it's just you know it takes a lot of time not only in the time and equipment it would take to put that together is 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 more complicated (laughs) the editing yeah it's 10 times 10 times the time but audio is so personal. It um, is. Yeah. I recall back when podcasting was first starting, you know, and you said, hey, Scott, there's this thing called podcasting. And I said, uh, what? I'll check it out. <laughs> one of the things... Oh, yeah, <laughs> one of these things that I was listening to was uh, this Catholic priest um, over in uh, Belgium, I think. I can't mm-hmm. remember. But he was doing these travelogue things, and he was getting quite an audience, and it wasn't particularly a Catholic audience. He was doing these 
Um, he called him, um, oh shoot, I can't remember what he called him, but he would walk around like wherever he was and he would record. So like in the, in the town he was in, in Europe, he was looking for a DVD or something. So he took his recorder and, um, sound seeing tour is what he called Mm -hmm. him. Yeah. That was sort of a trend in podcasting. Yeah. And I really, really, really liked those. I mean, that was really good stuff. And it had a totally different feel to me than audio or than a video has, you know, so if he had been carrying around a video camera, but he has had jumped into video for a while and then of course got burned out and stopped doing that. And, um, you know, cause it just takes so much, so much and it, and it doesn't improve anything. It doesn't. I, so, it, except, you know, it, it was, yeah, there, there are, there are times, um, except mm-hmm. this is the one this is the one video podcast that really works. Mm-hmm. Uh, this this fresh ink, uh, I think it was Tamahomey two thousand uh, commenter on the site, and he he also does um, uh, really good lots of lots of updates on Goodreads. Mm-hmm. Um, he uh, he, I think I I was bemoaning the fact that there's no uh, comics podcast that I want I, I enjoyed, and I, I wanted to want I wanted to find a good comics podcast, and he pointed out the G four one called. Uh, Fresh Ink, and it, it's a terrific podcast because, you know, she's telling you about comics, but then she shows you. She opens it up, and then they, they you know, cut away to uh, uh, zoom in on the art, and then the, the description continues, and you say, hmm, that is good art. And you know what? That artist, even if I'm not going to buy this book, I will remember that name. And uh, I say, oh, that's cool. And I know what the book looks like, so when I go into the bookstore, I can grab a copy of it without, you know, digging through the 10,000 copies of different, you know, disorganized comics that are there. It's, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's the one reason you really need a video podcast is for comics. Hmm. All and right. It's terrific, terrifically mm-hmm. produced. Well, good. Um, but she's, she's got interesting reviews and, and she keeps up with it. So highly recommend it if you're looking for comics. Um, didn't you, didn't you send me an email saying that you had just finished one, uh, a comic not that long ago? I thought you sent me a Skype message. That. Um, I don't I recall doing that. Um, I nope. sure could have. I, I read some Neil Gaiman. Um, but no, I haven't come anywhere near finishing all those. Huh. I don't know. Thought, no, nothing's leaping to mind. I thought it was a uh, something. Uh, well, I, well I've, I've, yeah, I said a friend just lent me Walking Dead, so I'll ah, read okay. that, But I don't recall... No. Oh, Batman. Yeah. That was probably it. Yeah, Whatever Happened to the Cape Crusader. I did read That's that. That's the Neil Gaiman one, yeah, right? Yeah, and it's also Neil Gaiman, yeah. I haven't read that. How is it? It's terrific. Yeah, it's really good. What's the what's the premise behind that? Well, it's um Batman Dead or something. <laughs> yeah, but it's 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 kind of a you know Batman is, it's it's hard to even do it justice. I'm sitting here trying to remember it, but it's, you know, Batman, I mean, the very first panel, Batman's laying there dead. And all of these villains are saying, well, you know, they walk in and they say, well, you know, I'm the one who causes death. And then they tell their story about how he died. So he dies in this thing several times. I'm not here to mourn Batman. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, um. But yeah, as I sit here, I where'd you get that? Um, at the bookstore. 
just, yeah, I, I heard about it. I heard yeah. about it because it was Hugo nominated. You know, I, ah. I don't know that I would have heard about it otherwise. But uh, long after the Hugos were done and everything, I I was at the bookstore and I saw it was a soft cover, so I grabbed it. Yep. Uh, but at the bookstore, you just said, "Oh, there's a Neil Gaiman book." And he said, "I'll I'll pick that up." No, I I was looking through the Batman stuff um, on the okay. in the graphic novel section of that Borders, and. Um, Anyway, it was there and it was soft cover, and I said, "Oh, I'm going to try this." That's so, great. Yeah, I, I I think the 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 best way to to get to get stuff is to you know actually have it in your hand and and then say, "Oh yeah, this is something I want to get into." But if you can't do that, if there isn't somebody holding your hand, you need a review or some sort of prompt to to get it out there because. I don't walk into sections of the bookstore that I don't know anything about. I, I, I usually have a plan as to what I'm going to do with my time. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I, I've, I've never left comics since I was a kid. I never left comics. I just haven't kept up with a lot of the other stuff that's out there. So as series die or mutate, I have to, I have to find other stuff. And um, that's why I like this... this uh, Fresh Ink is because it's it's somebody saying oh it's like a personal recommendation almost mm-hmm. you know this is if you like this then you'll like that if you like this you'll like that and uh, I've just you know branched out enough so that I've found new good writers uh, other than Garth Ennis I've, I've been obsessed with Garth Ennis stuff for years and years but uh, Neil Gaiman you know sort of not in comics much anymore he's mostly in in the bookstore which is uh, or the the audio bookstore and the the uh, regular regular bookstore. So mm-hmm. I'm good with that. But uh, Greg Rucka, uh, he he's um, he's a guy who writes paper books, uh, you know, regular fiction novels, and he also writes science fiction, uh, sort of or fantasy or uh, crime comics, and those are really terrific. And then uh, I've found a few other ones. Uh, I've I've been doing Why the Last Man. You know about this series? No. Uh-uh. Uh, some I think Cory Doctorow was talking about it on on Boing Boing one day, or somebody was talking about it on Boing Boing in a post, and and the art looked really good, and I just it didn't sound like a book for me just because uh, it sounded like something that had been done a thousand times before. The premise is all the men on Earth suddenly die, and there's one man left, and so it's like yeah, the last man got it. Hmm. What can you do with that? Well, it's it's just like The Walking Dead in the sense that it's really addictive. Uh, it's color, which is different. Um, mm-hmm. And the art's fantastic, fantastic art. Um, it's got those plot twists that keep you keep you twisting. And it's a really terrific book, a really terrific book. And it doesn't go where you expect it to go. And when it hooks you in with, uh, with uh, something, you know, you say, oh, that's cool. So... I'll give you a, I'll give you a, a teaser here. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is really cool. So everybody's dead. All the males are dead, actually. All the male mammals, not just hmm. men, uh-huh. but all the male mammals are, are dead on Earth. All the females are still alive unless they've been killed in accidents caused by the disaster. Mm. And, and so the world is slowly adjusting, and this one lone man is trying to make his way to California with a couple of assistants or a couple of people who have goals of their own. And uh, he's, he eventually wants to get to Australia where his girlfriend was working. 
because mm-hmm. he, he wants to marry her. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so as they're working their way across the country and having all sorts of troubles with different groups of crazy women, because um, there's lots of women left alive and some of them are crazy, uh. um, he runs into uh, a, a Russian scientist who is managed to get all the way from Russia to to the United States, and she has to get to Kansas. And the reason she has to get to Kansas, well, is because the space station still has people on it, and they're coming down because they're running out of food and oxygen and everything. And hmm. guess what? There's men on board. Huh. Right? Uh-huh. So the last man on Earth isn't possibly going to be the last man anymore. And just that, you know, that last page you see, holy crap, there's men Still alive somewhere uh-huh. after you know, like two or three books in, and you say, "Oh yeah, of course, he's the last man on Earth." Well, <laughs> there's guys in orbit, right? And to wow. see what happens is like, "Holy crap, what's going to happen next?" It's it's got that same same feel that uh, really really good comics like The Walking Dead have. Wow, wow. And the the uh, one that I I wanted to talk about today uh, is actually a Batwoman book. Hmm. Um. And I'm, I haven't followed Batwoman since the 70s, I guess, when she was uh, appearing in DC Comics or whatever. Um, but this is, a, I guess, a reboot or something uh, re- by Greg Rucka. And uh, the artist is fantastic, as pointed out on Attack, not Attack of the Show, the uh, Fresh Ink uh, podcast. J.H. Um, Williams III is doing this amazing art. That it, it, it's called Batwoman Elegy. And it's a hardcover. It's really pricey, about 40 bucks. Um, but amazing, amazing art. Really striking use of colors, but also a design. It's, it's basically an art book that's also comics. And uh, that might not sound cool, but mm-hmm. it's, it is cool. It's really amazing art. And it's got a really terrific story. The uh, introduction is by Rachel Maddow, uh, which uh-huh. is... Um, which is pretty cool. I didn't know she read comics, but yeah. um, it's a story about about uh, a woman who, uh, Batwoman, who you know, how did she get to be the Batwoman? It's basically her uh, her origin story, and uh, you find out you know she was in the Marine Corps and that uh, she was somehow not in the Marine Corps anymore, and then you know how did she how did she want to become a a superhero or a vigilante or whatever they're called, you know. Uh, when did she meet Batman? How did she? How did she uh, plan this? And and what about her twin sister, who we find out about? And where where's her mother? Her her father supports her in this endeavor. What's going on? Well, the whole story is sort of told out of order, but it's totally followable. And I, I assume there's some some backstory even before this this particular run. Uh, started, but it's mm-hmm. it's terrific art, amazing story. It'll bring a tear to your eye, and oh man, mm-hmm. this is this is why I like comics. It, I think I think uh, I think Blair Butler named it the best superhero comic book of 2010. Huh. And wow. and I I picked it up before she said that I think, and I'm really glad I did because it was so much money. I was thinking 40 bucks for for what is it? I don't know. 60, no, it's not 60 pages, maybe 100 pages, and not all of that's, you know, comic. It's, I don't know, six or seven issues uh, in, the, in the run, 
And I just thought, well, I'll give it a shot. And if it's no good, then maybe I won't listen to her anymore. <laughs> you know, the, uh, the uh, Blair Butler, as I, as I say. But she was right. It was worth mm. 40 bucks, That's which cool. is saying a lot. Yeah, yeah. Well, good. Yeah. So comics are awesome. How about mm-hmm. that? All right. Sounds good. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com.